Well, it's the second full week of May 2022. This is This Week in Common Sense, covering that second week. And I'm recording with Paul Jacob on May 13th, Friday the 13th, 2022. Like usual, Paul wrote five pieces, but he's on the road this week. And because of that, well, what does that mean? It means we're going to try to get through this really quickly. So you're up pretty late uh, Friday night. Yes. Yes, I am. Well, actually, you're up pretty late Saturday morning. I am still Friday night. It's not too late at all for me, so I'm just fine. Uh, how are you doing, though? I'm tired. I'm you're very tired. tired. We've been working on a campaign and, and uh, kind of going all day and night, and we will for a few more days, working on the Secure My Vote effort in Michigan, which is voter ID. Right now, they have a voter ID uh, law where you have to show voter ID or not. <laughs> <laughs> You've written about that, right? Yes, yes, I think we have. But And, and it also goes after what's be, become known as Zuckerbucks, which we wrote about uh, in the last few weeks, uh, at least, if not before. But this is where Mark Zuckerberg and his wife spent 400 some odd million dollars giving it to different election uh, bureaus around the country. And uh, turns out it was much more in Democratic voting counties. So working to get out the vote in Democratic voting counties, but not so much in Republican voting counties. And um, it just doesn't make sense to allow private individuals to fund particular programs for government to run in some places to help kind of juice the turnout among certain certain folks. Uh, that's not the way it's supposed to work. And this gets rid of it. There's, I think, now 16 states that have acted on that. And I mean, I think nobody ever thought, hey, we could just kind of give money and ask the you know, elections people to do it our way and kind of help our people. And uh Give it to the give it to the Democrats. They think of everything. In the wake of uh, or the beginning, it's, it's not even the wake yet. Just the beginning of uh, Two Thousand Mules, uh, the movie that uh, Dinesh D'Souza is putting out there. It's worth reminding people that it was many pronged attack of rather interesting tactics uh, by the Democrats to get the vote out. So that's the nicest way to put it. And one of these was Zuckerbucks. It's not just the mules. We'll see where that goes in the end, what you know, what happens with that discussion. Right. And that's really related to uh, ballot harvesting. That's yes. what Dinesh yeah. D'Souza's talk is. But this is not so much ballot harvesting that you're talking about, but just the, the panoply of, you know, rock the vote kind of efforts that local governments sometimes do. Yes. Think about if you decided we're going to do some things to really try to get higher turnout. Well, I mean, who, who can argue against that? And I know some people, and I sympathize with them sometimes, that it's like, let's not force people who don't want to vote and don't care and don't, don't want to know anything about it, you know, twist their arm and get them to go vote. But anybody who wants to vote, I want them to vote. So get out the vote, publicize the vote. These are all good things, right? But if you decide to do that hyperactivity in one place, but not do it another place, 
all of a sudden you could tilt things. And of course, I think that's exactly what they were trying to do. And you, you add that to other irregularities and to the fact that the news media has decided any information that's likely to cause us to vote for a Republican over a Democrat, or if you're watching Fox or OAN or whatever, then maybe a Democrat over a Republican, but anything that might cause us to vote differently than they want us to, well, they can't afford to tell us, and they're not going to tell us. In fact, they might make up all kinds of stories to get us off the trail. It might be Russian disinformation. You might see dozens of national security people come out and say, this appears to be Russian disinformation, knowing full well there's not a shred of evidence that it's Russian disinformation. And all the major networks may say, oh, really? That's what we thought too, even though they don't have any reason to think that. And then later, a year after the election, go, oh, yeah, well, yeah, it's all, it was all true. And we just hid it from the voters. Hey, I want to I, I want to mention one other thing because I've been uh, actually having to work this week, and uh, <laughs> you know, I suppose my regulars, you know, sip flat whites and uh, just kind of you know fool around. Uh, but I've been so busy. I got home. I looked for your email and different things, and I saw that Denise Ho, who is the singer in Hong Kong, who one of the first people to come out as gay that's a you know a little bit bigger deal in asia than it is in the u.s at this point you know someone comes out as gay in the u.s it's not quite the same thing and as as it is in in uh, hong kong and of course she's canadian or grew up in canada but but uh is is ethnically chinese and um and has spent her career in hong kong years ago because she says what she thinks and she believes in freedom and democracy. China banned any of her music in, in uh, China and basically, you know, did everything to anybody who was using her as a spokesperson or a advertising, you know, person. Uh, so it's been, it's been terrible. Well, she was arrested a couple of days ago and she, along with a 90 year old uh, cardinal, uh, uh, who, you know, basically is a pacifist and is, and what they've been doing that's such a serious crime is they've been helping to fund the defense for other people that the Chinazis who have now taken over Hong Kong in full and with a vengeance are arresting and, and putting in prison. So uh, they arrested them. And, and what do they do? They've conspired with outside forces. So uh, the totalitarian regime that folks often in the US want to pretend is not totalitarian. Oh, thanks for that money. Uh, uh, that regime is doing what anybody who's been paying attention knows that regime is gonna do. I, I sometimes when I hear these stories about Hong Kong, how they're clamping down. No, they've already clamped down. And they're just picking people up at this point. And, and uh, it, it's, um, you know, it's not, it's not the fault of uh, the U.S. media for turning the other way. It's not the fault necessarily of U.S. business people for, hey, I want to do business in China. It's the fault of 
the CCP, the Chinese Communist Party, the Chinazis, not the Chinese people, it's their fault. But why we would pretend it's not happening, why businesses face you know, have fear that they might upset China, but seem to have no fear whatsoever that they'll upset those of us who think arresting people for nothing, beating them up, imprisoning them for years, telling them to shut up and they have no freedom. They don't think that's going to upset us. And, and so it's, it, it really is sad to kind of see it. I mean, you, it's not surprising. She's been very much into the protest movement in Hong Kong from the umbrella revolution and, uh, uh, or, the, or the umbrella movement in 2014, all the way to the 2019 protests and so on. But, um, but it's just um, sad to see. And, uh, and I couldn't believe that it happened two days ago. And I hadn't, you know, I hadn't been, hadn't been watching the news. Well, uh, on thisiscommonsense.org this week, you didn't deal with either of those two subjects. Uh, almost no China, if I remember right. Very little talk about China, which normally we cover pretty strongly. Uh, and and also not really anything about ballot access uh, either this week, though there's certainly a number of local issues. Your first one, May 9th, just sue already. Uh, that was a story that's about uh, Missouri and Louisiana fighting back against the United States federal government. Yes, and something that you and I have talked about a, a good bit on the podcast because we get so much when we, we talk about free speech issues and the social media and these are private companies they can do what they want but the government cannot browbeat and threaten and get private people to censor you that's not their job in fact that's a violation of their job and it's a violation of our rights when they do it and these two attorney generals have been going after social media and the Biden administration specifically um, for encouraging censorship in a way that they have no right, that it's a violation of our rights, it's a crime. And, uh, and then uh, 20 attorney generals signed onto a letter, including these two gentlemen, these, these these two have filed suit, so um, they've on, on one case. So they're they've put up. They haven't just talked the talk; they've walked the walk. But we, you know, I just comment here that that you know they sent a letter. Well, let's get real. Um, I remember early on doing common sense, and of course, you know, I'm 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 dating myself, but we've been doing common sense since 1999, back in a whole nother century, and. Um, and I remember early on a couple different times I said, you know, so contact your congressman or something. I got the people who read common sense are just so sharp that they, you know, they would send back and go, Paul, what are you talking about? You of all people know that they're not going to do anything because I wrote to them or, I did. and there are times obviously that we can pile on them and, and, and kind of browbeat them into being decent human beings. But, but for the most part, the solution is not to uh, not to write your congressman. It's to find ways to make certain your congressman has no choice whatsoever but to do what is right and do what the people want. And when it comes to the federal government, sending them a letter to tell them to stop trying to get a, a censorship system that's privately run for them 
but with them, with a club and money and all kinds of things to influence that social media network, forget about it. Sue them and sue them now and sue them often and sue them tomorrow. So um, that's, that's, but what's so interesting about it is almost everyone who kind of poo poos our concern about free speech totally ignores the government role. They want to kind of push back, especially because we're libertarians. You're supposed to think that the private business has every right. And of course, I always point out, even if they have every right, I don't have to like it. I'm free to step up and say, you know, that's terrible what they're doing, even if they have a right to do it. And, and of course, that's how I feel. But this isn't just about them on their own deciding to censor people. And this is a case in this piece, Just Sue Already, May 9th, uh, you note that there are laws of the United States government to prevent the government from doing what it's doing with private companies. Not only do Eric Schmidt and Jeff Landry, the AGs of Missouri and Louisiana, have standing here, but they also have real teeth. They have laws that they can bite onto. So it's just not a constitutional issue. This is actually a legal issue that's very, very clear. So I, I think that people should probably go read that and uh, see if they can find more information about it. Because this is one way that we can get back at them is that, you know, you use the laws of the government against the government. That's one of the things we do. Uh, that's just one of the things you have to do. Right. And that's done constitutionally, but it's also done in statute. Right. And, and that's what's uh, important here. Be. Yeah. Yeah. Well, uh, on Tuesday, we we talked about another tyranny, uh, but this one averted, although a little question mark after the averted. And this is a Rhode Island bill that all of a sudden seemed to get ahead of steam. And, and the only thing I think that stopped it, well, two things stopped it. Um, it looked like it was going to be stopped because, of course, the the pandemic started to fade and Democrats started to look at some polling that suggested people had had enough of all this and uh, all the government reaction to the fact, you know, diseases are diseases. They're not good. But, you know, usually government doesn't, uh, you know, cause a whole lot of trouble while we're trying to deal with diseases and pandemics. Uh, and and so in Rhode Island, there was a bill seemed to be stalled. And this bill was, even if you were on the side of trying to find ways to push people to get vaccinated and so on, this seems so obnoxious. Doubled the income tax rate if you weren't vaccinated, punished employers for their workers not being vaccinated, attempted to do all kinds of things to bring the heavy hand of the government down on people and force them, compel them, with punishments to get vaccinated. And uh, the other thing that stopped it uh, when it started to gain a head of steam is the group in Rhode Island, Parents United Rhode Island. So often I know people who get active and, and stuff and they, they uh, you know, there's a tendency to kind of, oh, what, what do we really get done? You know, you don't, you know, the world doesn't surrender and do everything you wanted to do. Uh, you know, every time you get politically active, but it's amazing, you know, when people step back, like I look at this, you know, these are regular folks in, in that group. They, they have jobs, they've got kids, they got all kinds of things to do. And because they got active, they stopped something like this, which otherwise might've become law and caused a lot of problems for a lot of people. So it's, it's, uh, I find that political people 
do not give themselves the credit that they often deserve for what they're doing. They don't see how impactful what they're doing is. Um, and then maybe I'm just you know, kind of, hey, come on, we're doing something, you know, because it, it's tough. And politics is a nasty business where, you know, you've constantly got other forces pushing back and, and doing all kinds of things and people trying to work behind the scenes and underneath the scenes and, and, uh, and, and you got people wielding influence and power, but grassroots folks getting loud. And I don't mean obnoxiously loud. I mean, standing up and speaking clearly, they have a big impact and they still do. And uh, you saw it in Virginia in the 2021 elections. You see it here in this, this story in, in Rhode Island, which I think most people outside of Rhode Island don't know anything about. Well, it, maybe it's not so important for you unless you care about the, the kind of clamp down uh, government control of medicine run amok that's, that affects us all. And also, it's just good to know that, you know what, if they can stop this kind of thing in Rhode Island, I got to figure they can stop it in Connecticut. They can stop it in California. They can stop it in Colorado. So how do we stop the CDC from lying to us? And grabbing our data. I mean, it's, it's obnoxious enough that private companies have our data and are doing all kinds of things with it. And that we as individuals haven't somehow collectively gotten together and said, you're not going to keep doing this. Um, that There should be huge pushback against that. But there are laws against the government doing this sort of thing. And yet so, they do it all the time. So we're back to where we were with the first piece. This is CDC's covert data crime from May 11th. And this is not really about how to stop them other than there are laws against it. Right. But it, it's it's clear that they're doing it because even as they gathered this, all the, they gathered all this different, uh, this was cell phone data and so on. But but. They're, they're gathering it and they claim that it's kind of so they'll know who got the vaccine or whether people abided by lockdowns and so on. And of course, I can solve that problem by just saying, in free societies, there aren't lockdowns. Go to China if you want a lockdown. Uh, and, and so that would solve the problem. We don't have to get any data. But, but they lie to us. And they grab our stuff. And, and you know, the, the thing I think about here is Edward Snowden. And of course, because he's persona non grata and, and exiled forever, we don't hear about him very much. His case has never kind of finally been adjudicated and so on. But I think he did us all a great big favor. And I think a lot of people realized or sensed that the government was grabbing all kinds of data, all bank data, every phone call you've ever made, every email, not ever, but since they were able to, to grab it all. And, and we may have sensed it, but we didn't know it until Snowden released that information. And here it is again, and it's a totally different thing in a sense, but it's the CDC grabbing all this information. There's a pattern here. Government likes to get a lot of information on us. Why is that? I mean, isn't uh, we're the boss. We should be getting more information about what they're doing because they work for us. But instead, 
it goes entirely the other way and in big ways and it seems constant well that is what progressivism was all about in the early 20th century or late 19th century even you know the uh, economists uh, were beginning to get, gather lots of information by the end of the 19th century one of my favorite uh, economists was a statistician as well uh, but when they got more information they immediately they did so for one big reason the better to control us the funny thing is they never did a very good job of either but especially not of controlling us in a way that was to the general benefit but they did do some controlling and there was a lot of coercion involved and without that information they can't engage and pretend to engage in some of the things they want to do so it may seem to many people that getting information about uh, behavior patterns from cell phones which is what some of this is right right um just you know did people interact and so forth is harmless it's just good information it's good science and in a sense you could say yeah that's true but what's it the aim of the aim is the better to get arguments and berate us and corral us and treat us like the subjects of a totalitarian system rather than a free society yeah that's how i look at it no and and this idea that that you know you have nothing to hide or you know i i uh excuse me, I've been, um, I've had a rental car more the last couple of, of uh, months, weeks, weeks, months. And every rental car I get now, it's got the, you don't put the turn signal. It's not going to let you turn. I mean, you can't override it, but it's constantly adjusting and, oh, well, the, oh, I didn't know you wanted to go over in that lane. And when you're on a highway with nobody on it, I usually don't hit the turn signal. And of course, if I'm on Interstate 95 near Washington, I always say, you, you can't put the turn signal on. You can't warn your enemy. He'll speed up to stop you from getting over. And, uh, and so anyway, it's, and, and of course, it's safety. It's all about safety. Except when every move, when, when we don't like self-driving cars to me now, is part of a dystopian future. If they know, if they control where we can drive, if they know every place we've gone, if they know every phone call we've made, if we, you know, every email we sent, every transaction in our bank, if we can't use cash, so they, they know every transaction throughout our whole lives, this is, what, this is the social credit system in China. And of course they want to bring it here. And that's, we talk a good bit about China because I'm worried that we're in the initial stages of World War III, and I want us to be as strong as we can to try to avoid that, and also to not just surrender and, and leave the world to totalitarians. But from time to time, as we've mentioned, people will treat that as a U.S. versus, you know, superpower contest, like it's some football game or boxing match, and we're rooting for this team. And the reality is this, governments all over the world want to emulate China. They want to be China. They want to have all that data on their citizens and all that ability to control them like they were mice in some maze. And, and that's all there is to it. And it, it, it's, you know, there's nothing particular about China except that they've had a totalitarian system for so many decades in a row. But our leaders will go to that if we let them. And and you see certain things, and maybe some people don't. I see them all the time. 
And when I start to move my car into the other lane and it's fighting me, I don't like that technology. And, and I understand the technology. I don't mind having it. I would just want to set it in some way that I'm controlling it. It's not controlling me. Yeah, I really do fear that uh, soon the federal government will try to make illegal all old cars. Uh, because they will want to be able to control us. Because right now with a new car, I don't know who, but the government could easily commandeer the system of just shutting you down when you don't want to be. Yes. If they don't want you to go somewhere, you will be shut down. You will be sent to the side of the road and you will just be let, ready pickings for the for the local constabulary or the non-local constabulary. Um, I should mention also that uh, uh, the idea of fighting uh, the Chinese influence, the Chinese influence is something that Elon Musk appears to be doing uh, when he bought Twitter. Uh, I've always been very suspicious of Musk, partly because of his electric, you know, cars can be easily controlled, just like you're talking about. Right. It's a subsidized industry to a very large extent. Yeah. And of course, he gave me his billions and whatever uh, with government contracts, but he's been doing interesting work for the government. So I don't really want to, he's not been getting information on us. He's been sending rockets into space. So I kind of like that a little better. I like that he got internet to Ukraine when yeah. the U.S. government didn't know how to do it, but Elon Musk was able to. Well, that puts him in a dangerous position, but that's another yeah. dangerous position was his buying Twitter. And you wrote about that on Thursday, May 12th. It's a failure of trust. And uh, there we have the FTC getting uh, awfully uh, interested in the, uh, the monopolist Elon Musk. A ridiculous idea, considering major media being owned by who owns major media, that no one seems to care when, you know, Jeff Bezos owns whatever. What, does he own the Washington, Washington Post? Post? And there's no monopoly of the media. It's, it's like all of a sudden Twitter isn't going to be exactly what the progressive left, largely the media, the media loves Twitter. The Twitter is the media's playground and they don't like us voting in ways that they don't like. And they certainly don't want us to be, to have somebody in charge of their playground that, that isn't their guy. And you can hate Elon Musk all you want. This sort of attack by the government against him as a, creating a monopoly is laughable. It's laughable. If he could create the monopoly, well, who owns it now? I mean, he hasn't even completing completed the, the deal yet. But isn't that a monopoly? Shouldn't we be worried about the people who have it now? Oh, no, they censored Donald Trump. And Elon Musk would let Donald Trump back on the thing. So we don't have to question the people who are anti-Trump, we only have to question people like Musk, who, in other words, we decide whether to launch investigations on you, not by any of the facts, but by your politics. And this is, I think this is, that, that this isn't a bigger story, that they haven't, you know how they've backed off, we, uh, they haven't backed off, I shouldn't say it that way. We talked last week about the Homeland Security uh, and them having this, you know, disinformation center and, and essentially getting into the business of telling us what's true and what's not true. 
and and then maybe shutting down some of the people who are saying things that aren't true. There was pretty good pushback against that. And and maybe it's because I haven't been a consumer of media uh, so much lately, but I haven't seen any of the pushback against the FTC suggesting that they're going to investigate Elon Musk's purchase of Twitter. It's a it's a joke that there would be any law, reasonable law, reasonably interpreted that would allow them to stop him from buying that. The government stopping him from buying it because we like politically who's in charge of it now. That's what this is about. And and that's the country that we're starting to live in, a country where everything's decided by your politics. Whoever's in, well, then if someone else tries to buy some media company who's on the other side, well, will we'll, the IRS will go after him and the FTC will challenge the sale and, you know, and, and maybe we can find other ways to threaten that person. That's not where we want to live. I should mention, uh, and I think everybody in the audience uh, probably have gathered, they know now that you, you're you on the road and uh, you're using not on the, the best... Yeah, and not the best equipment in a room you haven't properly, you know, the auditory. We heard some of your neighbors recently. Uh, uh, yes. They were sort of a, a discant in the background. You could sort of hear their uh, their, their, their clamor, uh, but not too loud. And your audio isn't great, but uh, we can live with it. But we are running out of time as well. Uh, Zoom is telling me that this is a, a doomed conversation. We have less than... Five minutes, so maybe we should wrap up the population explosion from May 13th and do it quickly. All right, Elon Musk is is here again, and I even joke that, you know, I don't want this to be the Elon Musk uh, show, but, uh, but he came out and said, you know what? If Japan, if their birth rate continues to fall below replacement level, and there's no immigration, which has kept the U.S. population growing. Otherwise, it would not be growing. Our birth rate is not enough to keep the U.S. growing without population-wise, without uh, immigration. And the Japanese have, have been very anti-immigration and are very much into Japan for people who are Japanese. And uh, he pointed out that, well, you know what happens eventually everybody's gone. There's, you know, if population continues to decline, then we won't be here. And of course, I know that there's, you know, the animal liberation front and there's people on the progressive side who are cheering now that maybe we won't be here, but I'd like it here. And I'd like human beings to stay. And, uh, and I just think it's, it's, uh, it's interesting that that's, that what he said is kind of provocative when it's so obviously completely true and, and by definition, so, and, you know, but, but, hey, we remember, you remember, we've talked about this before when we were kids, the, uh, we were told as, as grade school kids that, you know, by the year 2000, there'd be only a foot of square foot of room for every person because of overpopulation it was going to destroy the planet and so on. And the truth is countries now are really, really scared about what it's going to mean for population to decline and the overriding reason that they're worried and that it's such a huge problem even though i think it's a little bit of a problem even without this being part of the part of the mix and that is that they've built these old age programs the lockbox of social security 
and they're counting on more young people able to pay to take care of all us old people. And if there aren't more young people, well then, you know, I mean, if, if you've got 10% of the population who's retired and getting benefits from the government, the other 90% are paying it, you know, it's not gonna be huge taxes maybe, but all of a sudden if that's 60-40, that's 50-50, that gets really tough to do. We're already seeing some of the problems. And, and sometimes I think it's easier for people to see them when it's happening to somebody else. And uh, it's happening to Japan. It's going to happen to China. And That's actually the most astounding thing is that China is actually worried about its, its demographic collapse. Uh, because we were worried, you know, just a half a generation ago about Chinese overrunning the world. And yes. the government might overrun the world, but the people don't seem to be aiming for that. No, no, it's, it's, uh, they really have a, a very low birth rate. And, um, and the, the truth is throughout Asia, the birth rate is really low. And the, the U.S. is not far off of that. But, uh, and, and that, you know, this isn't political, but I think that there, this fear of overpopulation, this kind of self-hatred that somehow we're destroying the planet as if we're not part of the whole, you know, it, it, I love trees and I love oceans and beautiful mountains. I love people too. And I don't think that somehow we ought to all off ourselves so that the mountains and the trees can, you know, feel better. And, and so I think that some of the negatives in people's minds about not having children are spurred by really stupid and destructive views of how human beings fit into the world. And I think this is going to be the issue that really underrides everything in the next 20 years. I think that this really gets to the heart of it, is this problem of population. It's worth remembering that uh, political economy began, in a sense, not with Adam Smith, but with Malthus's uh, work on population theory. And he was shown to be wrong in some specific ways, but some startling ways. And I don't think our civilization has yet understood where he was right and where he was wrong. They're still muddled on the subject. And I think our elites are very much tempted by the idea that lots of people are bad. That's a bad thing for your, the, the people who rule to think that lots of people are bad because that's a bad incentive. And I think that we may have already seen the working out of that incentive somewhat during the COVID period. That I think that there was some heavy handed ways of doing things that they, that fit their sort of mindset that screw the normal person. That individual people don't count. Right. The population does. The American people do but individual Americans don't really. And certainly uh, people could be sent home and forced to not to work and not have a peaceful assembly and, uh, and we can destroy small businesses like never before. And that this is a good thing. I think for some of them, just like when price of gas goes up, for some of them, this is a good thing. And that should be very, very, that's, that's a that's a big red flag for me. And the flag is red for communism. Now, how's that? Did I get my anti-communism thing in there today? <laughs> <laughs> well, it was, uh, I'll tell you, at least the weather's getting nicer. 
the world is swirling around the toilet, but the weather's getting better. On that note, we can quit. We can yes, actually we say can. the world's getting better somewhere. <laughs> that's right. That's right. It's five o'clock somewhere. Mm-hmm.